This, 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 this is mythical. Welcome to Ear Biscuits. I'm Rhett. And I'm Link. It's time for another conversation with someone interesting from the internet. This week at the round table of dim lighting, finally, our guest, one half of the famed vlog brothers, Hank Green. Of course, John Green, who we talked to a few weeks ago, author of Fault in Our Stars, was on an Ear Biscuit. Now we get Hank. Well, he spends all his time in uh, Montana. That's where he lives. So That's right. It, I haven't been, I've never been to Montana. I heard it's got big sky, there's moose up there. I want to go, but I haven't made the trip up there. So we have to catch him when he comes out here on the West Coast. Now, we were humbled to find out that Hank said that he was a fan of Ear Biscuits. And we were like, all right, we want you to be on Ear Biscuits. I mean, we've always looked up to Hank for what he's done in so many ways that I think will become evident. Uh, when we sat down to craft this intro to kind of clue you in on who he is, if, if you don't know or don't know everything, we were just overwhelmed with the amount of achievements he's had. It, you don't really understand it until you just see it all listed out. So just really quick, just to remind you what he's accomplished. He, he's a humble guy. He wouldn't want us to sit here and go through these accolades, but you need to know so you can just appreciate who he is and who it is we're talking to. He started the Eco Geek website. That was his first online thing that became really well known. But then he went on to start uh, just a few YouTube channels. You know the Vlogbrothers, Crash Course, SciShow, SciShow Space, Lizzie Bennett Diaries, The Art Assignment, Brain Scoop, How to Adult, his personal channel, Hank's Channel. It's called Hank's Channel. He doesn't have one called Personal Channel. It's just it's called <laughs> Hank's Channel. The, there's, that's, there's probably more that he's done on YouTube. Well, but, he's also started VidCon, the largest online video convention in the world. He created Foundation to Decrease World Suck, which then creates the annual online charity event Project for Awesome, which has raised millions of dollars for various charities. He also co-founded the record label and merchandising company, of which we are a part, DFTBA. Uh, he's released five albums, musical albums, including his latest Incongruent with his band Hank Green and the Perfect Strangers. And he created Solvable, one of the first crowdfunding sites for online video projects. He, this is one thing I didn't know. He even invented 2D glasses. That sounds like a joke. You can, it's not. It's glasses for people who get wigged out when they're watching 3D movies, like it makes their head go crazy, so like his wife. And it makes, you can watch it in 2D. He invented okay. that. Well, he's truly a renaissance man, and it's definitely evident in our conversation on this week's Ear Business. Get y'all. We talked to him about the awkward circumstances surrounding the first time he met his wife, Catherine, and a story that she herself has never heard. And we talk about nerddom, sexuality, and the surprising way that Hank and John chose to deal with the success of John's novel and the movie. So we finally get to complete the one-two punch of talking to the other vlog brother, Hank Green. Here it is, Our Ear Biscuit with Hank. We, we, we are live. We're live. Well, we're not live. <laughs> this is streaming out. <laughs> to nobody. To that. Has this been live? The, has this been live the whole time? I didn't tell you. Yeah. Well, the conversation is live. I do it on Ustream. We are having it live. Right. To each other. Yeah. We're all really here. We are living humans. Currently, though, someone may be listening to this after one or all of us has died. If this comes out in the next week or so, as it as it should, yeah, that's a sad thought. But if someone's listening to it like yeah. eons later, right? Eons. That's that's a really hmm. good thought. Yeah, people could be listening to this ear biscuit in the year like four thousand twenty. 
That's an interesting if thought. Listen, if you're listening in the year 4020, please leave a comment. Please leave a mental <laughs> holographic comment, yeah. Yeah. Which, is, which is laughably commonplace. In that many years from now, there will be no differentiation between uh, a digital experience and a physical experience. I mean, it, and it won't even be digital. It'd be quantum. A quantum experience. Sorry you can't reach out and literally slap our face right now. <laughs> All right. Which you could probably do in the future. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. just to present the other side of this, we're dead. But they could interact with our 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 cadavers, captu- our captured bodies, not our literal bodies. I think they might right. be able to pick up on the DNA signature just by the sound of our voice. Two thousand years from now. Whoa! Think about that for a second, boys. Probably. I mean, th- think about whoa, how whoa, much whoa, whoa, is going to happen. Are you subconsciously trying to prove to Hank that you're actually smart? <laughs> is that what's happening here? Aww. Is there some sort of a little bit? Thing happening. <laughs> I, don't, like, uh, I don't hate the idea. I, I don't think that you could fingerprint the genome. Smart? I've, I'm not comfortable listened, with the idea. I've listened to plenty of ear biscuits. I know how smart you are. Oh. You're both engineers. Oh, but yes. Well, I'm not going to say I'm smart. I'm just going to say I'm interested. 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 You're I'm not interested. interesting? I'm interested. Okay. Curious. You're I'm a curious man. I'm interested in you. How is LA? Do you still smell of Missoula? How long have you been here? I did see uh, on your in- Instagram the evidence of two trips to In-N-Out in the first day in L.A. I did. We went to In-N-Out the moment we landed. I got a I got a, a cheeseburger the first time with grilled onions, and the second time I got a cheeseburger animal style. Oh, and which do you prefer? I, I preferred the animal style. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. the best. Yeah. I'm all for the animal style. I they picked, burn the mustard a, into the bun, and it's it could be a little much. I mean, when you live here, you can be really picky. You know what I am glad of? That we don't have In-N-Out in Missoula, because if we did, I would eat it all the time. And instead, it gets to be a special thing. Yeah, so it's twice a treat. in one day is pretty special. I haven't I've been never back, done that. I haven't been back since since the first day. Now, I <laughs> will say, I have, a, I have a weakness for it myself. If I go a week without it, that's I, a bad week. I try not to eat a lot of red meat. Right. So, like... It's, yeah. it, it is bad in that way, where I'm like, you know, I probably shouldn't be. Have you done the 23andMe thing? Oh, the the genome. Yeah. 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 No, I, I haven't. I, I, my wife got I me that. My, I don't want my genome on record. Oh, really? Yeah, because you know what they're going to do to you now? Give me targeted advertising? I'm just messing with you. Targeted <laughs> advertising. Targeted <laughs> genome. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst thing you could come up with. So, you yeah. interested in a sailboat, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell by looking at your jeans. Uh, My wife got it to, for me yeah. as a Father's Day present. Cool. No, it's very cool. And I'm gonna, apparently going to get colon cancer. Oh, I'm going to get colon cancer too. Yeah. Fives. Yeah. So uh, I, I've cut seriously down on the red meat. Yeah. I have and, ul- and I've tried to cut down on meat a lot in general. Yeah. I have ulcerative colitis, so I like very almost definitely will get colon cancer at some really? point in my life if I live long enough. Yeah. Describe that. In, in a little bit more detail. We just high-fived over colon cancer, by the way. High-fived cancer brothers! Just so you know the, what happened in the room. It did happen. So, I mean, well, I mean, what is pooping like? And how uh, long have you known of, of this problem? I have had UC for, I was diagnosed about 10 years ago, and it's painful and urgent is the technical term. Like cramping? Yeah, so like if when I have to go to the bathroom, I have to go to the bathroom kind of thing. Like run like, to the restroom. Yeah, like if I'm on an airplane and it's like during the times when you're not supposed to go to the bathroom. And you like have a special, one time I actually special badge for like that? had my wife did this for me. I did not do it. She had the plane stop what? on the taxi. Oh, so really? that I could go to the bathroom. You because can't they, hold they it. They can't. They can't. Or there's no. There's no holding. Okay. I mean, how deep do we want to get in the gross? Because I'm like perfectly <laughs> comfortable with this. Uh, I've, I've dealt with a, a lot of poo problems in my life. For example, it would be very difficult during certain points of my life 
to 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 fart without pooping, <laughs> okay. which is a really sucky like way to live. And then like I remember when I first got over that, I was like so excited about well, farts. How did how did it you just, get over it? Medication, um, medication, yeah, uh, and just like the 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 feeling of farting without having to worry of about of sharding, yeah. And my wife, who does not typically enjoy my farts. <laughs> Was like really into it with me, which I really yeah, appreciated. That's pretty it. cool. Catherine was like, "Yeah, yeah, that one sounded real good," and I'm like, "Yeah," <laughs> and it was all oh, air. Yeah. That one didn't sound wet at all. It was yeah. all methane. Yeah, it was just all that feels. <laughs> and like you know, there's like I, I have come to appreciate farts in a very new way. Was there a fear of being in those situations where yeah. oh, I'm just gonna crap my pants? Absolutely. It's like business meetings can be really weird when you're like in the middle of a conversation and you're like, I have to go, and. Sometimes you want to sort of like lead with that and be like, hey, just so you know, I have a medical condition where sometimes I have to run screaming out of the room. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, that's still the case sometimes. Yeah, though it's fairly well controlled. Like even now, is yeah. there like a part of you that's like, well, okay, we're sitting here having this conversation. There's I know it could be an hour. There's always a chance, yeah. Uh, Talking like, about it does not induce it, does it? No. <laughs> though like weird things do, like stress does, okay. um, which is like great. And it's like, oh yeah, you know what I'm stressed out about? The possibility that I might poop myself. That's making me feel more likely to poop myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm lucky to have a great job and I have great support in my family. And uh, So is that how you dealt with it, with just positivity? Um, I'm a pretty positive guy in general, but I, I would say that I dealt with it with medication and also, you know, just... Sort of accepting that life has to be the way that life is. Like, you don't complain about the snow. You don't say like, man, snow, if we could only get rid of snow, uh, we wouldn't have as many car accidents and it would be cheaper. We wouldn't have to have so many plows all the time and we could drive and you wouldn't have to scrape your windshield off. If only we could stop the snow. How do we do that? But there's so an obvious like, bright side to like, snow. Have you found that with this condition? No, it doesn't really have a bright side. You can't like sled, sled on it. Maybe can't. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> I would, oh gosh, <laughs> I would think maybe character building or something. No, not really. I mean, like, I, made I mean, a, you I seen made a popular video about it once, so there's you that. got some views. There's always that. There's always yeah. that with any anything in a writer or YouTuber's life. Uh, you're always like, well, at least this is a good story. Yeah, get a yeah. little ad revenue. If they were, if I had the choice, a hundred percent of the time, I would choose to not have choose sort of colitis. Right. Well, I, I know um, that. I'm just saying. Yeah. The other scary part of it is that, like, the longer it's active the higher your chances of getting cancer and you know you have to get colonoscopies all the time and those are no fun mm. and then if you get cancer then you have to keep your colon removed and having your colon removed is really unpleasant a colonoscopy is a video have you thought about it is yeah maybe posting that will they give you a copy i think they probably would give me a copy Katie, that. Katie Couric did that. Katie Couric did do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she wanted to encourage people to get colonoscopies because colon cancer mm-hmm. is one of the leading causes of, of death, and it's very treatable. Right. How nerdy are you? I mean, because you've built a community around the word nerd, nerd friteria. It's weird now, and I and I, like I have a hard time with it when like uh, I come to Los Angeles and and I get to hang out with the cool kids. Hmm. Like, like you guys are pretty cool. Okay, thank you. And uh, and like like Tyler Oakley is very cool. And Grace, like Grace is like specifically like not only are you very cool, but you're also like clearly the hot girl. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so it's very strange to me to like are like are you guys? Do you really want to hang out with? Like, it doesn't seem right. And I'm 34, and I'm still thinking this. Hmm. So that's one quantification that I'm still like. I don't think the cool kids should want to hang out with me. Hmm. And so I'm, I'm ha- I have a hard time uh, accepting that they do. 
despite the fact that it is clear that they do in an irrational sense. I get that. Being a nerd is not defined by relative social strata. It is a little bit defined by exclusion. Like, that's how I I felt it when I was in high school. Like, I was a nerd because I was not allowed to hang out with the people who were of the higher social strata. And you feel like, in that sense, it's been corrupted a little bit with the, well, the trendiness of nerdiness? I don't mind that. There's a there's a little bit of like, uh, you know, like, you didn't go through what I did to get that label, so why, do you, why should you have it? And like, now it's cool, and suddenly you want it too, but I get that. But that's a, it's not a good thought. That's not something that I want to feel. You're a legit nerd. Yeah. You own that. Yeah. But if you're calling me someone in a... That's cool. Then um, is it not something that you wear as a badge? Is it? Is there still some insecurity associated with me calling you a nerd and saying, oh, you own that? Uh, my assumption was that it, it was a badge of honor at this point. Yes. Uh, there's very little insecurity associated with the label now, but the thing that was once called nerd is a thing that's still inside me and that still is self-conscious. So, But as far as quantifying that, I think that there's the the bit where you're quantifying like, okay, to be clear, like people punched me for no reason because like I was the person who looked like the person you should punch, you know? And and then there's like the positive ways to quantify your nerdiness. Like Mm -hmm. I can tell you an awful lot about Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm -hmm. And and like weirdly, I I have been self-conscious about being able to identify as a nerd because I'm afraid I don't know certain nerdy things well enough. I don't know very much about Dungeons and Dragons, for mm-hmm. example. I never played Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. I've only played it as an adult. And so I kind of feel weird about not having that D&D street cred. Who's the supreme, Who? what's the standard who's, who wears the biggest badge of honor yeah. of being a nerd? And do you wrestle with being somewhere on that spectrum of, oh, I'm less than nerd and I want to be more. No, I, I don't know that I'm afraid of not being nerdy enough, but I'm a, sometimes afraid of being found in a situation where I don't have street cred in that particular bit of the nerd realm. Because you feel like you should know. You got to yeah. know those things. Which is why least... I was like, I made my friends play D&D with me a few years ago because I was like, I need to know how this works. Got a lot I need of catching to, up to I do. I need to be able to participate in these conversations. Which yeah. is, it's just the, the irony of nerdiness being characterized in your youth and feeling kind of left out, like you're not part of something. Yeah. But then feeling the same way about nerd culture now. Yeah, crazy. Because it's not really about nerd culture. It's about the human condition. <laughs> well, You're always going to yeah. feel left out of something. You're right. always going to, like, inadequate, like, feeling inadequate is like, uh, if you don't feel that, you're probably a little broken. Yeah. It's it's going to come up every once in a while. Right. And there's nothing worse than feeling left out of the thing that you feel like you should be in. And I, yeah. I, I do, like, sometimes find myself reading more young adult novels than I would otherwise do in order to like be into the nerdy things that my audience is into. Mm-hmm. But mostly I read sci-fi novels because that's what I like. You enjoy it. And it's not, I'm not reading sci-fi novels to look like a cooler nerd, a more nerdy nerd. I'm reading them because like, I freaking love it. What about below you on the spectrum though? There's people that you see that aren't really nerds who are like trying to get in on the nerd thing, right? Yeah. How do you interact with that? I just sort of say more power to it. The The thing about being a nerd is it's more than just a cultural identifier. It's also like there are things about being nerdy that are good for humans, like being enthusiastic and excited. And if you're enthusiastic and excited, 
that's good because I'm tired of people being all cynical and ironic all the time. Hmm. That you know, like nerdiness is about knowing things about the world, and I think if more people know know more things, more objectively true things, that's a good thing for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I do see sometimes I'm feeling a little bit like maybe this person just wants to like look the look and bandwagon, not really nerd poser, not really feel it. But you know, who am I to tell who that person is or how they're feeling and and like what they you know, what they actually experience. Because a lot of that's just going to be based on what they look like, which is not, True. has very little to do with anything. Well, and for you, uh, what part nature, what part nurture is your nerd? Your parents, <laughs> your parents nerdy? Uh, my dad's, my dad's uh, can't see two inches in front of his face without his glasses. His, his glasses weigh m- more than a small dog. <laughs> and so his neck is huge. <laughs> He's got a great neck. <laughs> Your dad is one of the nicest people he I've ever met. He's so nice. It, yeah, we just, we, uh, we just met him in passing at VidCon, right? Uh, yeah. I have great parents. My mom is also amazing. She's a little bit less nerdy. But we did, uh, me and my mom, watch X-Files together, mm-hmm. which is a pretty nerdy show, and she was super into that. Um, my dad and I watched Doogie Howser MD together. Doogie <laughs> Howser was an important role model for okay. me. Did you have a computerized journal before anyone else had computerized journals? I did. I did uh, have a computer journal, I think starting in uh, 1995, maybe. Could you give me uh, just a, a paraphrase of something that you might have written in a, in a journal in 1995? It would have been very angsty. It would probably have have read something like, people are so fake. They say hi to each other in the hall like it matters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And are you... 15 are you, was a tough year for is, me. Is that hypothetical or are you actually accessing no, I remember, a thought? I'm remembering writing... Like, I'm, I'm you not remember, remember typing that? I'm not remembering writing it. I'm remembering reading it later and being like, <laughs> oh. wow, dude, chill out. <laughs> yeah, I'm remembering reading it once I got to college and like found those files. Yeah, poetic, I was, man. I was curious if you still had the files. No, I don't. I don't. I lost a, a, a great deal of my terrible, terrible ramblings. Which there goes the rationale of doing it that way at all. You should yeah. have printed it off on that printer with the dots on the sides. Well, but the transfer, <laughs> the transfer of information is different now. You know, back then right. it was a floppy disk, right? I mean, it was on a hard drive. It was on a hard drive, but yeah. still, I mean, how do you connect to anything else, right? Yeah, nowadays, you know, you're basically trusting Google not to lose your email, <laughs> yeah. and they better not, or else we will be very angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, if they don't lose your email, then you can probably say most of your data is safe in Google's hands. So, do you remember the first time that you were slapped with the label of nerd and it hurt? Because that's hmm. what I seem to have been accessing earlier. I remember when I hit middle school that suddenly I wasn't cool anymore. And that there, like the thing that I was, it wasn't just that I, I wasn't cool. It's that the thing that I was in elementary school, which was cool, which was smart and knowing stuff mm-hmm. and doing well on tests, uh, was suddenly not cool anymore. And was this still in, was this in Montana? No, I grew up in Orlando. Did you do the boarding school thing? No. You stayed back. Yeah, I stayed in a couple of videos, when you talk about sexuality, so, sometimes on Vlogbrothers, it's like, okay, I'm talking about this, and then you kind of give more of, this is what's behind this for me personally. Mm-hmm. So you would talk about trying to reach a conclusion about your own sexuality, sexual orientation, and then you said that I might be a little bi. Yeah. But so was, I mean, was everything up for grabs at that point and it, just a bunch of confusion? I remember, so so my, my sexual journey, uh, I'm, I'm pretty damn straight <laughs> when it comes down to it. But 
I was for a little bit terrified that I might be gay, which I knew was a bad thing, which of course isn't, but I knew that it was because I liked to ice skate and I liked the village people. And so I thought that that meant that I might be gay. Having, well, as long as you having, don't like them together. Having No, I like to ice skate to the village oh, people. Okay. Well, oh. then, yeah. <laughs> you, were, you were gay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was, I was like, remember, like, and I got, broke out in a cold sweat because I was like, yeah, boy. And I was like, you, <gasps> you realized it. Maybe I'm gay. And I was, hmm. but this had nothing to do with being attracted to a man. But I did, I did, uh, I, uh, the, the, the men that I have been attracted to, I think it requires two things. One for me to be uh, pretty, um, what's the good, Randy? And be like, well, that guy. But I was really, it's like, well, really anything. Uh, and two, uh, it to be a fairly effeminate. Yeah, that guy looks man. like a girl. That guy looks like a cute girl. <laughs> okay. No yeah. breasts. Yeah, but I could <laughs> okay. totally see it, you know. Um, so I, I, I think that like during middle school, I was just terrified that I might be gay. And during okay. high school, I was just like, well, I'm outcast so i might as well embrace the outcastness in whatever way is available to me so if some guy wanted to make out i'd try that i went to a very large high school and so there were a lot of social groups there were a lot of different groups of people you could be a part of that had very different aesthetics and very different values and so the group i was ended up being a part of was very weird and silly and non-traditional and and really into that. And this only happened in senior year of high school when I was able to like embrace this stuff. And the silliness was really an important part of it, but so was not the like the traditional way of looking at things. We want to see what parts of the world are just made up and what parts are real. So that that was actually really great for me. What parts of the world were real and what parts were made? What? So so what what did you discover was not real? Well, I mean, I was 17. So meh. but, you know, you start to realize at a certain point in your life that the world doesn't have to be the way that the world is, and that's a, sort of like a 16-year-old, 17-year-old realization. And I think it happens earlier when you're more outside of culture. Like we listened to Hansen, which was for high school students crazy. Right? Like, Hanson was for kids. So it was we int- like, intentionally ridiculous. Yeah, we were like, Hanson, that's weird. Like, that would be a weird thing for high school kids to listen to. And then, like, after the Hanson song, you listen to a Marilyn Manson song. Uh-huh. Like, like, let's be, like, intentionally ridiculous for sure. We named, we renamed all the days of the week. We went and hung out at, like, you know, four in the morning in cemeteries one night. And the next night, we'd be in a playground at four in the morning. And one of the group had a very non-supervisory dad. We just sort of always always stayed in his room and never came out. And we would just dance and sing and stay up and play vacuum cleaner fights. And nobody ever made out with anybody, which I think was like hugely important to the success (laughs) of this social group. Right. I thought you were getting at that one time you made out with one guy to see if you were gay. No, we never made out. I I was in, I I was ready to go there, uh, but it didn't happen. But you said in that vlog, which I found to be interesting, I can't remember the guy who, he was helping you edit something. Stefan. Oh, Stefan, yeah. And it seems like you really put him on the spot about his sexuality. But then you're the one who came out and said, I'm a little bi. And I couldn't tell if you thought that was a joke or if you were just being honest. I think I'm a little bi in that like, sometimes I think guys are kind of cute. I think we might probably all be a little bi, but like I, I think the idea of there being three labels for what your sexuality is is kind of ridiculous insofar as like, if you're going to give me one of those three labels, I think it's ridiculous to give me the label of like 100% one thing all the time forever. Culture is full. It's constantly whispering rules into your ear about what you should want, about 
who you should want about how you should live your life and like how you should fill the holes of need inside you mm-hmm. and like strip it down and maybe say like, not just like, how do I fill those holes? But like, where did they come from? What are they? What are, like, why do I want? Asking what, why do I want is far more useful in the end than asking what do I want? Because there's a lot of freedom there. Mm-hmm. When you realize like this thing that's driving me nuts Really? And yeah, Orlando is not my favorite place. No offense to people who live in Orlando, but I'm glad to not live there anymore. When did you get out of there? I moved to, when I went to college uh, in 1998, I went to St. Petersburg. And then in 2003, I moved to Montana. Okay, so St. Petersburg College. And what did you study there? I studied biochemistry and also liberal arts because you had to. I had an art minor, actually. When I looking back on that, I'm very glad that I did science, like that I got a degree in science. And I'm also very glad that I went to liberal arts school where I could learn a lot of different weird things mm-hmm. and like take a class on e- economics and take a class on religious studies. And, you know, did you find a group of people there kind of like that formative group senior year in high school where you were asking and answering questions and determining who you were and what Mm. you were going to believe about yourself and life and people. Yeah, I definitely found a very good group of people at college really quick. And our experience was one of like silliness. Like silliness is like one of the most important attributes to me. What's the silliest thing you remember from the college years? I mean, this is still before (laughs) videos, right? Yeah. I mean, though we did make some videos in high school, which uh, hopefully we'll never see the light of day. Oh, yeah? Um, I would would love to see them, but I would not love for the internet to see them. Uh, Yeah, silliest thing we did in college. Uh, We did Rocky Horror a lot. We went to see Rocky Horror Picture Show. So you would get dressed up and and as the characters. We did a Rocky Horror show at school. I was in a cast. I was Rocky. Catherine, my wife, was Janet. So that's where yeah. you met Catherine. Yeah, yeah. We, were, we lived very nearby each other. What was that first meeting? Year. The first time I remember meeting Catherine, like actually like remember seeing her, this is terrible, was at night and she was wearing a t-shirt and no bra. <laughs> well, that'll do it. It may have been a little chilly. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. This is ne- something I've never told my wife that this is like my, my fir- earliest rem- memory of her. <laughs> first memory really? of you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And she was just like out in the hallway. She had just come out of her, her room and, and I said like a few words to her. Uh, what did you say? Like, uh, like a shirt? No, <laughs> no. I don't know what we were talking nice about. Nice shirt. All I remember is... <laughs> Her boobs, okay, fine. <laughs> That's what I remember. So mm. now you're really, you've never told her this. Yeah. But you're telling us I've that never really admitted it to myself either. We're going to have to get you some brownie points some way to make up for that. Now, okay. okay so, and then what? You started dating? Uh, not, not immediately, no. Uh, we, we had a weird early relationship. How so? Hey, guys. Her roommate was excitedly in a new relationship upon getting to college. And uh, that made things a little uncomfortable for Catherine. And so I offered, or she asked, I think, if she could sleep in my room. And she slept in my room for weeks with nothing happening. And then one night something happened. Did you have a roommate also? Yeah, Derek. So then Derek had to leave. No, we were more subtle than (laughs) her roommate. Than Catherine's roommates. (laughs) So you guys, and you then, guys and shacked then, up as friends and then hooked up and then it, that's just all history from there. there. Well, there have been many things that have happened since then. We broke up like twice. Whose fault was that? Well, she was going back home. I was going back home and it was mm-hmm. like, wow, well, that's just... Hmm, mature decision. Yeah. 
and then we came back and we we uh, we weren't together for a while because it was weird, and then we were, and then we broke up for a little while while we lived in Missoula, which was really hard. After we moved to Missoula together, what moved you there? And then tell us when the just clue me into when the video when the Vlogbrothers yeah. 2.0 started happening. So, um, was it after that? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so that. what moved you? You graduated and moved together. You guys were like a couple. So we we graduated uh, for I got a job doing chemistry. I uh, didn't love it. And Catherine had a job too in Florida. And then she got accepted into the University of Montana and their environmental studies program. And she got a full free year there. You know, we had been living, like doing sort of a long distance thing and she was going to go over there. And I was like, well, either this relationship is over, which I don't want it to be, or I moved to Montana. And I was like, well, I don't like my job and I don't really like Florida and Montana sounds weird. So let's do that. <laughs> and that was like a, such a, like looking back, like crazy decision. But I, I, have always been a little bit of a whatever kind of person. Like I, like I, like this, like decisions don't seem that important to me. You know, like options available X. Okay, go. So it wasn't as much a testimony to your relationship as it was to, it's just a viable option. I, mean, I loved her a lot. Okay. Cause those could have been your brownie points right there, Hank. You've been like, I loved her madly deeply forever. And I had to be with her. It was a done deal. I'm not a whimsical guy. But Montana, here I come. <laughs> I'm not a whimsical guy. I love silliness. I, I love this moment in so many people's story. Knowing who you are and knowing what you do and how many things you have done and how many things you are doing right now, mm -hmm. to know that there was a time in which you were moving to Montana without an idea of what you were going to do. Yeah. Was that mentality, which now I feel like you're the guy who has to be doing something or else you'll <laughs> go nuts, right? Well, yeah. Was that emerging at that point? Oh yeah, I was already doing that. I was already like all the time coming up with ideas and doing weird things. When I, like during that period of time after college, when I lived in Florida, working at that lab, I started a website called IHateI4.com. I4 is the road that runs through Orlando and it's terrible and everyone hates it. And so I was like, let's start a website where we're going to talk about transportation policy. It's IHateI4.com. And I like stole road signs, like political campaign road signs. And, uh, and I spray painted IHateI4.com on them. I had a stencil. And then I put them out like on the on-ramps and exits. Of, a marketing campaign. Of, yeah. And then like literally within the day, the local news was calling me. <laughs> we had a sponsor and we made like 200 bucks and like the server bill got really expensive. But like, to me, it was like, yeah, doing a thing. And I, and, and it like, was a political thing. Yeah, so it wasn't wanted, just a forum for people to vent. Well, to be clear on the website, really, it was mostly just people yelling about different genders or races or age groups that were worse drivers. And I was like, <laughs> not really what I was going for, guys. <laughs> yeah, I hate I-4 too. Yeah. But you, but you, you fostered a community and you found yourself a spokesman for something. I mean, this is certainly a template yeah. that carries on. Uh, this may not have been the first example, and it certainly won't be the last. So, so how you did had to abandon that when you moved to Montana. I did. I moved to Montana, and I remember being like, oh, I, got, I have to like, leave IHateI4.com behind. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and like I, got, I had so many emails. I, I haven't thought about this in a decade. But I remember like getting to Missoula and thinking I'm still going to run I hate i4.com in Missoula. <laughs> like and then and then within like a week realizing that it. But but like it's always been important to me to have something that I'm doing to keep my brain occupied. And so like that site was good for doing that in mm -hmm. the space between figuring out what I was going to do in Missoula. And so when you got to Missoula, A, what did you do to make money and B, what did you do that was the next i hate i4.com? At first, 
I applied for jobs, which was a long process. I also just walked into a couple television stations and I was like, I have experience doing TV stuff and camera stuff and graphic stuff if you need that. And uh, one of them put me on as a contract, like occasional camera operator, mm-hmm. which I did. Camera operation is super fun in local markets because you just get to go to weird things and they're like, you need to be here at this time. And you're like, okay. And then you watch a weird thing happen. Whatever thing <laughs> is newsworthy that day. It's a good way to like get, get to know a community because you get to go to all the things that you would never go to, like all the community events. And then I, I started to think probably I should go back to school. So the second semester we were there, I, I took a couple classes. I took one environmental writing course and one microbiology course. And I decided to go the non-science route. And like really like at that point I was thinking I could set myself up to write about science, which is something I'd always wanted to do. I like have always been a huge fan of science communicators like Carl Sagan and the writing staff of Star Trek The Next Generation and, um, you know, Beekman's World and Bill Nye and that sort of thing. Mr. Wizard, all really cool things to me. And I had a subscription to Scientific American thanks to my dad from the time I was like 12. Uh So, and I was always like found that to be unquestionably very cool in whatever that cool word means. So I really enjoyed that class I took and then I took the GREs and I did well and then I got into the program with no problem and I like was a year behind Catherine in the same program she was in, but I focused on writing while she focused on policy. And then in the graduate program I went in for environmental writing, I uh, started ecogeek.org, which was my environmental technology blog. The seed for the cause of environmentalism, was that something that your dad fostered from a young age? Yeah, Uh, probably because my dad was actually the Florida State Director of the Nature Conservancy for a long time Mm -hmm. when I was growing up. And that was obviously an important household topic. And uh, Florida is a beautiful and wonderful place to attempt to protect and a very difficult place to actually protect because it is also a wonderful place to build houses. Um, And theme parks. And theme parks and targets and, you know. But for you, starting EcoGeek, this is a big thing for you, right? Well, that kind of came from going through the environmental studies program at the University of Montana, which was a big pile of like, here are the worst things that are happening in the world and we have to activate ourselves to fix them. Mm-hmm. And me feeling powerless and terrible. And like, we can talk about this all day long, but like, I'm into science and a lot of this conversation is about how bad the things that science has brought us are. And so I feel like we're we're sort of fighting against maybe one of the greatest tools that we have in this fight. Like we're pushing against science when science could easily be like the most effective possible solution to the problems we're facing. And I, I as as a person who was into that, it seemed very uncomfortable and angering and annoying. Uh, which I still deal a little bit with in the environmental movement. So I found myself going home and like Googling, you know, what's what's the future of paper? Are we going to use trees in 20 years? What's the future of energy? What's the future of cars? What's the future of air travel? Like, and, and feeling better about the world. Like mm-hmm. we can fix things. We've done it over and over again. We reach our carrying capacity and then we push through it. We're finally starting to see an end, a potential end to the growth in the human population, like not in the next year or anything, but it's probably going to happen. And at that point, we can 
find a balance potentially if we continue to develop technology. But if we don't do that, we will actually be in trouble. If we fight against the only tool that we have to make it all work. But these are the type of things that that you are moving from just reading about and becoming encouraged to then saying, I'm going to be a part of writing about this and create a forum and a Mm -hmm. solution. I don't know if it's technically a forum, but you know what I mean? My professor at the time, John Weber, said, you know, we're going to like, the class was called Starting a Magazine. And it's like, start it, like you want to find something that you're obsessed with and that you're really into because you're going to be thinking about this 24 hours a day. And I was like, well, what's that thing for me? And then I like looked at my Google search history and I was like, this environmental technology, technology that will make our impact on the environment less significant. So that's what that's what I started my blog about. And it became a thing that was like my job for a while. And at that point, I guess you were experimenting with web video. And so so there was this natural no evolution into YouTube. Like how did that start? There was no natural evolution. I was getting bored with EcoGeek. I was getting bored with writing sensationalist headlines to try and get clicks, to try and get ad impressions, to try and get money. And I didn't want to do that anymore, but I also saw, like, if I don't do that anymore, will I be able to pay the bills? So I was feeling like probably I was going to have to have another thing. Mm-hmm. And John, my brother, was like, what do you think about the idea of maybe doing a YouTube show? I was like videos and editing videos, and we'd talk to each other on the camera, and, and, we, and I was like, yes. A thing, a new thing. Yes, absolutely. We should get dad to buy us cameras for Christmas. And these are the ones we should get and make sure we both have iMovie on our Macs and I've tested it out. And So dad gave you both a camera for Christmas. Canon Allura 100s. So then on January 1st, your video goes up first. Yeah. And of course, we talked to John. His video went up the day after, but he put it up on the wrong channel. Wrong channel. So it's a little confusing. (laughs) We're not quite sure how YouTube works at this point. Yeah, but so... (laughs) In your first video, I find it interesting that it's kind of presented as if it's your idea. I don't think that was intentional. No, I did not mean to imply that. <laughs> but but you were very gung-ho. I mean, when John posts his first Brotherhood 2.0, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing or right. how this is yes. going. I'm going to be very bad at this. He yeah. said something to that I'm effect. Very, yeah. Yeah. But you seem to be much more gung-ho. and uh, I'm sort of a more excitable guy than John. I get really into new ideas like really into new ideas. And you were kind of fostering, there were kind of prompts at the beginning, like, okay, we got to get this thing off the ground. You're kind of giving him some tracks to run on, helping your brother <laughs> out. Uh, well, you should probably post it on the right channel. Yeah. And we sh- let's talk about our differences. Here's something we can go with yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, he did that too. I mean, and we, it was clear to me watching those videos that we wanted other people to watch them. It's not like we just were making a, a YouTube show where we were going to talk to each other. John was like, you know what we should do? We should eat toilet paper while talking about the political situation in Nepal. <laughs> right. And it's like... like As a that punishment. Was, that was just, no, that was... An, oh, right. No, that wasn't a punishment. Just an just idea. John decided that that would be a good idea. Right. And like, you know, we can talk about how we didn't really think that it was going to be popular. We didn't really think it was going to be popular. Of course we didn't. Like, YouTube as it exists now is unthinkable to 2007 YouTube. But... But we you were thinking of a, think an audience larger than people, yourself. Like, how do we get people to watch this? And did you assume a character? I think as soon as the camera turns on and you're not a professional performer, you're a character. Mm-hmm. Like, you immediately 
start acting different when there's a camera on. So yeah, there's a character there in that like you're being self-conscious and you're thinking about your thoughts more and you're thinking about your face and your presentation and where you're talking more and then you're nervous and like, so there's a difference. But if you watch the early videos, it's a very different character than the one I have now, which is more similar to me, actually, because that guy was like putting on a thing because obviously me as I am is not interesting enough. So let's try something well, else. <laughs> well, uh, he, he was funny and you're still funny, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's I mean, we, I mean, we, we're very different than the videos we made. Oh, yeah. and, and a lot of those, like you said, are not anywhere for anyone to see. <laughs> well, you know, and it's interesting how so many things have sort of synthesized it, with your interests and your passions and your knowledge with this medium and it seems like one of the things that characterizes so many of the things that you do, you really want people to know things. Uh, not in a preachy kind of way or like I'm going to teach you guys or I'm going to take you to school. But I think about it in the context of, you know, with what we do, it isn't that you don't ever learn something from a good mythical morning or whatever. There is a fascination factor. But our primary objective is to entertain. And I think people kind of get that. Yours is equally entertaining but I feel like you have a passion for people to, to get things, for, yeah. for things to sink in. Yeah. To enjoy the ever-present game of knowing. Oh, yeah. That's a good Hank, Hank Green quote. Yeah, I am super into that because I love it when people do that to me. Mm-hmm. I love it when someone explains something to me in a way where I finally get it. This is now a thing that I will always have in my head, a greater understanding of how the universe works. Knowing what is actually true about something is empowering. It seems like everything that you touch on, you're trying to give people knowledge so they can be equipped to then do what? I think understanding the world is its own reward in a lot of ways. In the past, we got to have that provided for us, like a certainty, which I think is just really inaccessible now. You know, religion provides for a lot of people, and I'm often envious of this, Uh, that kind of certainty, that kind of like, I understand not just what the world is, but my place in it and what I should do and how I should operate. And when you break that down, when you, when you don't have that, it can feel like you're lost and like you're sort of tumbling. And when it comes to like why you're here, we don't have a great answer for that. Because there really like, in my opinion, isn't one, like there's no cosmic purpose to any individual human life. But if you understand your connection to other people and if you understand yourself not just sort of like how I think and how I feel but like why I think and why I feel and that for me has really allowed me to like understand that like I have a reason and any given moment if I feel lost I can touch on that reason and be like that's still that's still there and like that's a weird thing to come to from a place of like I want people to understand all of the universe and and I want people to understand like why shoes fall when you drop them. And I want people to understand like what wood is made out of to like, I also want people to understand that they have a thing called humanity that has not just cultural needs, but like real objective intrinsic needs. This quest for knowledge, do you think that there is a point in which we attain the knowledge from an objective standpoint that then answers some of those questions so, that you, so you don't feel upside down or out of place where you find purpose in, the, in this knowledge? Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I don't think that like necessarily science does that, but I think that under, like that observation can lead an individual human to find that for themselves. 
And I, that, that's happened for me. Like, to find purpose? Maybe not purpose, but to find the thing that, that shows you which way is up. That like you can always touch on to say, here is the thing that makes sense for why I'm here. And like, I guess purpose is, is an acceptable word. <laughs> and this is an interesting difference between you and John. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's been relatively open about his, his background. We talked with him. And mm-hmm. the interesting thing is that you guys are so in lockstep about so many things. And when we asked him this question about how does this, you know, he considers himself to have faith in God mm-hmm. and you don't, mm-hmm. but yet. So you call yourself an atheist, right? The, see, this is important. So I don't believe there's a God, but I'm not comfortable saying that there is no God. Cause I've had people ask me, is there a God? And I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't, like I can't like, wow. So that's a, that's a very different question than I don't, than do you believe there's a God? Right. But where were you going with your question? Well, yeah. with, with John, we asked him how you guys interact about that. His answer was, well, we don't really specifically about that issue because we care about the same things. You, you guys are oriented in the same way. You want to decrease world suck in the same way. Mm-hmm. And the motivation seems to come from maybe different areas, yeah. but you, when, you, when all is said and done, you're doing the same thing. Yeah, and I think that we, like, we have the same values. It, I mean, it, it's like not important where the values come from. It's important what the values are. So do you have a sort of a pact that's like, we're not going to discuss that. Nah, no, no. We talk or about it all the time. You do? Okay. Yeah. And, and what, what, what's the tone I, I, of that conversation? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, usually it's, it's more like curiosity. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, like maybe a little bit of like, what is that giving you? Like, I find myself often as being jealous of religion. Um, like, it's, a, it's an amazing community organizer. Uh, it's the reason why Republicans g- give more to charity than Democrats. Um, and I'm like, we like, obviously secular people need something to make them give money because like, that's frustrating to me. Like, th- like, right. I think people would maybe ask you, why do you want to decrease world suck if you're not doing it for God? Well, I mean, what? <laughs> I found that, I find that question very funny. So who are you doing it for? <laughs> uh, the people <laughs> who are suffering. <laughs> <laughs> But, but there's I mean, certainly seems, people who would think like, that. I mean, right, I think but it that's seems like what, such a terrible thing to think. Like, like the only reason I want to help people is so I don't burn forever. What a terrible way to look at the hmm. world. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about <laughs> about your brother because okay. it has been obviously an incredible year. Yeah, for him, we talked a lot about that on his ear biscuit, and uh, we want to get your perspective on some of those same questions. Because even in that, I guess it was your second video post, you were talking about how people compared you to him. <laughs> That's true. You know, uh, that wow, was... Wow, I'm always impressed by how much research you guys do. Well, that was, that was the first thing you chose to talk to him yeah. and the audience that you were just starting. Mm-hmm. Was, Let's talk about how we're different. Yeah. Because people always talk to me about what I'm not that you are or vice versa, you know? What did I say? You said that he was pudgy and that you... <laughs> that you, that would, he... you would become pudgy over the next few years. Ah, that's right, what you right. Said. Oh, that's a good joke. You said that you Right, were... it was a good comedy bit. It really yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> and then you turned it into a bit about, basically it was your confession of spilling coffee on Catherine's computer. He beer, would, he beer. would he yeah. would never do that, or a beer. Yeah. And then beer. not telling her, and then waiting till the next morning 
and just replacing the battery and then hoping that it works because you didn't want to have to tell her what happened. Yeah, right. John yeah. would never do that, yeah. insinuating that you did yeah. do that just that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, right, I mean, right before. what happens when your brother has this monstrously successful novel, which turns into a monstrously successful movie? And you're saying what? I'm not monstrously <laughs> successful? Is that what you're implying? You're saying, what does it feel like to be the inadequate brother? <laughs> I'm well, not saying that at and all. You're, and you're I'm saying when you haven't done those things specifically. It, it impacts me not at all. Like, I don't see, like, that doesn't feel like a thing in my life. That tension doesn't feel like a thing in my life. John's success is is like a thing to deal with that we have to think about and and that changes maybe some of the ways that he thinks about our projects. There are often times when John's like, why would we do that? And I was like, because of money. And he's like, huh, I forgot about money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which is, I'm not there. That's um, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about money. <laughs> um, uh, so there are ways that has changed John, and like, and so I have like I have to think about that. And, that, and I wouldn't say any of it is negative. Uh, I, I don't think that it's changed John in, in any negative ways, except that he's possibly maybe a little more anxious. Um, but as far as the tension of success goes, I have people ask me about that a lot, and my parents have it. As well, like they're like, how how does how does Hank feel about not being you know how, being in his brother's shadow? And like on Vlogbrothers, I'm not at all. I don't feel at all in my brother's right. shadow. I don't think Nerdfighteria thinks about it that way at all. I don't think people come into it and they're like, well, I like John's videos, but Hank's just yeah, you just have to wait through those. Uh, <laughs> frankly, my videos are more entertaining, <laughs> and I'm better at making video than he is, and he will agree. Um, he's a better writer than I am, but also at the same time, he's focusing more and like I can tell he's doing this intentionally on the boring stuff, and he's letting me do more exciting videos <laughs> to make sure that people like they'll watch John's videos because he's John. But then uh, they get to be like, "Oh, thank goodness, a Hank video! I get to not have to think about Ethiopia for an hour, like ten minutes." <laughs> right. But you yeah. say you can tell, like when he posts a video, there's no coordination in terms of, "Hey, I'm tackling this, so don't you, you can leave this one." There's a little coordination. Sometimes, I mean, on the average day i have no idea what john's video is going to be about and you watch it along with everyone else yeah <laughs> i love that <laughs> i so, i so for example the one that went up today the day we're we're recording this uh i did know what it was going to be about but that's because he wanted me to look over the script because it had science in it <laughs> are there days when for both of you it would be a surprise but you just don't get around to watching your brother's video there might be a day where that happens you'll catch up in fact, today is a day when that happened. I haven't watched that video yet. One, I've read the script, so I know what it's about. Um, but I will watch it. It's just that I've been driving around L.A. all day. If ever I get to the point where I don't watch one of John's videos, that's the day I just, we might as well not have the channel anymore. Why? Like, that, like because, like, that's the thing. He, like, he's making a video for me. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not watching it, one, that's just bad brother right there. <laughs> And two, like it, like it abandons the idea of what it is. And, and the idea of what it is remains very important, that we are making videos for each other. Even though, of course, we recognize and communicate with the broader audience, like I will say something that John already knows, and I won't say it to John, I'll say it to the audience. But John remains the most important member of the audience, and I think that that's, like, that's the way it has to be for Vlogbrothers to be what it is. When you guys decided that you were going to, when you realized that the success was happening, the with, with the Fallen Stars, yeah. 
who instigated the conversation to be like, all right, we should probably talk about this and how, you know, how we're going to manage this? I don't, I don't know. It was definitely a conversation we had, uh, but I think that it was, I think it might have just come up early when we were like, this is turning into a movie and the movie might be very successful. And like that sort of came up in conversation. And if it is, then what's like that? The way John and I don't have agendas when we call each other on the phone, like right. like write down bullet points or anything. Um, occasionally, but not usually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we knew that there was a chance that this would be something that we would have to manage. And it turned out to be something that we did have to think actively about. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely a conversation that involved both of us. And concluded with, we do not want to capture the wave. This is not a wave we want to ride. To not see it as, okay, this is the opportunity to take Vlogbrothers to a whole new level. This is not a level This is what we got to do. I think it was too big. If we caught that wave, it would change our community. It would have changed our community very What would you have had to do? To catch the wave? Yeah, it, we would have it's had not to, immediately obvious to me what you would right. change. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, we were encouraged on several fronts to have The Fault in Our Stars sort of become the narrative of the Vlogbrothers channel for a long time before and after the movie came out. Yeah. Just to, you guys were each just talking been, about the whole maybe, experience. Yeah, and also, I, I think, uh, sort of more demographically aimed and making that kind of content and collaborating with those like people who who have that demographic watching their shows and i think if we had used that strategy had you know a tremendous amount of subscriber growth and we didn't do that very intentionally because we didn't want we didn't want to have our audience double but have our audience double with entirely an entirely new kind of viewer right that would have been just terrifying we wouldn't know what our channel was anymore because the, like, the people who are watching the content are just as important as the people who are making the content in terms of what kind of content ends up getting made. So we want to keep making the same kind of content we've always made. So we not only did we avoid creating content specifically for, for fans of the movies who might be coming in for the first time as Vlogbrothers viewers, we sort of doubled down on what Nerdfighteria was and on what mm. our kind of content was. I mean, there's a number of things that you've invested in that are equally as phenomenal as the success of the novel or the book. And those things are... Eh, maybe not equally as phenomenal. Well... <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a phenomenon in, in well, like you, a mass cultural success of, of a story that is very difficult to duplicate in any other way. And that, that, like, that cultural importance is so awesome. I'm very proud of John. And like, that's an accomplishment that very few people get to have Mm -hmm. and i think that he doesn't either he doesn't recognize it or he doesn't want to because of how important it is for a lot of people and of how like important it will be for their whole lives like john has a number of authors that have impacted him tremendously and he is going to be that for a lot of people and i think that that's true of vlogbrothers as well but it is Mm -hmm. not like not in the same way as the fault in our stars Mm mm-hmm at the same magnitude. But I mean, when you look at things like how much money ha- has been raised through Project for Awesome right. or the benefits of an event like VidCon, yeah. Yeah. they're so instrumental to shaping a whole genre of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess I make the point that these other th- things yeah. that you've created are, are Yeah, and I'm super extremely... proud of the things that, that like I've done personally and like, and also like, it's not really about pride. It's about doing something that I think is important and interesting and like that is hard. 
Well, you that, do so many things. I mean, what what's the thing that if you had to have only done one of them, <laughs> what was the thing you couldn't let go of? Said, My well, marriage. Points. <laughs> okay. There you go. You well, got it. Top of mind. That was good. Got it back. Um, Professionally, not personally. Uh, I so, so we're Vlogbrothers. Vlogbrothers, 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 Vlogbrothers. All of the other things don't like wouldn't have been possible and, and wouldn't matter without Nerdfighteria. I mean, like that channel is the coolest thing that ever happened to me. Do you guys agree that the thing that you do for a living is so cool? Oh, yeah. It's yeah, so it's, cool. Yeah, it's it's uh, living a dream. It, it is. <laughs> it really is. It's great. Uh, so I'm just, I'm infinitely grateful to all the people who care about that channel and also who care about the institution as a community and care about us as individual creators and care about each other as as members of that thing. So cool. So cool. <laughs> Just... Because of VidCon, though, what you've done is that you've you've aligned everyone who's trying to do anything that makes them a YouTuber, which is such a broad term. Yeah. You're like the friendly uncle of every YouTuber. I'm glad you Beca- think so. Because of VidCon. Do you watch everyone's content? Because it seems to me that <laughs> you really know and care about... YouTubers like, oh, Jenna's getting flack on Good Morning America. Who's going to write a blog post about it to set them, put them in their place? Hank Green's going to do that. Friendly VidCon uncle. <laughs> How do you see your role in that capacity? Uh, I would love to be friendly uncle. I if it, and like I am really into online video. I think a lot of people came into this with the sort of like aspirations that involved entertainment, I had none of those. I had a little bit of a, maybe I wanted to do science communication, but I, that world continues to be boring to me. And at that point it was just opaque or, or like I hadn't even considered it existed. Um, and so like being a part of the early days of YouTube is like, that's like, I think one of the coolest things that, that will be a part of my life. And I thought from like day two that YouTube was going to be, a, not was going to be, was already a huge deal, like a huge culturally important deal. Because, I mean, I was always obsessed with the culture of the internet and YouTube was a big part, of, like early YouTube was a big part of the culture of the internet. So I, I've always been obsessed with it and I've always thought that it mattered. And it seems like only recently, even the people who are involved in it, even the people who do it for a living, only recently have they come, a lot of them come to accept that it is important Whereas from like like 2010 when I started VidCon, I thought it was late for a conference. 2007 when I started making YouTube videos, I thought I was late to YouTube. Like I'm looking at the 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 dim of the table here, and I'm like I see all these names, and I like to me what this looks like is is not a table with a bunch of signatures on it. It's like a thing that's going to be in a museum someday. I believe completely irrationally in the deep importance of online video culturally. Like, I think it's as important as, like, the printing press, which I know it's not, but I think it is. <laughs> and it's interesting that you, but you find yourself being the champion of people who, YouTubers, who are just in it to scratch their entertainment itch. I mean, that's not, not what they, not, what, not we really. Have, like, that's not what it's about. It's not about, like, am I just getting, using this as a stepping stone? It's about they're making great content. I don't care if they're using it as a stepping stone. I care if they're making great content. I care if they're doing something interesting, something different, something cool. What trends do you see? in online video that yeah. trouble you? 
Um, the thing that makes me the most angry in all the world is watching people who suck get really rich off of people who are cool. Like who? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing that really pisses me off is that people are too nice to call them out on it, which I am doing right now. Right. We can't say anything bad about anybody in this yeah. industry. Doesn't, yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't go over well. It would work if we all did it. <laughs> I ask that question all the time. Like when I'm when I'm sort of like sort of getting into a new area of YouTube, like say Minecraft gamers or you know acapella musicians. I'm like, so just to like just tell me who's the dick? like wh- who's the because I know that there is one, <laughs> right? And I know that you all hate them, but you're not going to tell me. And he's well, like, first and be- of all, you're you're assuming you're not talking to him. That's true, but I I I pick carefully. Okay, yeah. <laughs> the person I ask that question to. And, and what the, are they? No one ever says, or people, they'll, they'll say it privately. No, they won't. They're too nice, and they know, and they and they don't just know that that person is you know only motivated by money. They know that that person has done bad things to people, and I feel the same way. I know people who have done bad things to people, and I don't talk about it because it's not something you're supposed to talk about. Hmm. And I find it very frustrating. It's, and it's a thing like the, like the snow that I feel like this is a problem that we have to work around. But boy, does it make me want to not have that problem anymore. I so want that problem to go away. But, I guess I'm a little surprised that that's what you said. I mean, I really thought your answer was going to be related to, well, you know, the established I, entertainment I industry know, I, is going to come in. You asked me a really great question and I answered with the thing I hate the most in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I probably shouldn't have done, uh, but I, I, I maybe just really wanted to have that rant I just had. But l- let's go with that rant then, because, I mean, you tweeted, I suppose I feel somewhat alienated from the idea oh. of what a, quote, YouTuber is, that's, that and it was, makes me wonder if that's something I want to be. That was a moment of, of weakness. I shouldn't have tweeted that. But you um, did tweet it, so explain it. And that, and that, <laughs> that is uh, that the, the word YouTuber means a different thing to different people, but... I had at that moment heard the word YouTuber used probably 12 times in a row in describing teen idols. And I have nothing against teen idols. I'm not saying they make bad content. I'm not saying that they like, but that, that, the, that, that the enthusiasm of 12 year old girls is, is like a problem. Like, but that's what a YouTuber is, is like, a, like I kept hearing it used in that way. Good looking guy vlogger that girls swoon over. Yeah. Equals and, YouTuber period. Yeah. And like, and I think that is what that word means to a lot of people. And I, yeah. I worry that that's going to be what that word means to the mainstream. Like that would not be fun for me because then we need a new word, you guys. <laughs> but I think, that, I think that I'm still like absolutely 100% YouTuber. The other thing is that people who work for YouTube, YouTube employees call themselves YouTubers. And I'm like, oh no, you guys. <laughs> no, that's ours. You can't have that. <laughs> um, I am very proud to be a YouTuber and I think I'm a YouTuber and I think I'll always be a YouTuber. Maybe the word creator is sort of like, like it's certainly more vague, but, but maybe more appropriate for use in certain situations. But um, I think that online video is a thing that will always be a thing. Like radio is a thing that will always be a thing. Like plays are a thing that will always be a thing. I think it's a, it's a new form of media. It isn't just, a, it's not a genre. It's as different from TV as TV is different from radio. And it's weird to have a word for that thing. That's the name of a website, but I'm perfectly happy with it. Like to me, when I say YouTuber, what I think of is people who make content on YouTube and people watch it. And, and like, that's anybody, it, it, people who don't know you watch it. 
Like, that's what a YouTuber is. And you're concerned about them making content that's actually good. I thought your concern was going to be that the power will be taken from the individual and would just wind up in the hands of the gatekeepers of traditional entertainment. We were going to go down that path. Uh, I guess I am, but only insofar as uh, it is something that's going to happen and I'm not going to enjoy it. If you're not going to give us hope that <laughs> the you and YouTube if is going to... Friendly Uncle Hank is not going <laughs> to give on, us hope. <laughs> I, I mean, wh- well, when well, I was okay. on the panel, let me say, when I was on the panel at VidCon called The Future of Online Entertainment... Oh yeah, I wasn't on this panel. A weird thing happened to me sitting in the seat you, on, you wet yourself, on the I panel. <laughs> I peed myself. <laughs> at one point, I thought my eyes might be welling up. Yeah. And I'm I'm being serious. I'm not joking. I felt like, wow, we have enough success as YouTubers to maybe be able to help affect what the future of this is. Right. And, and yeah, you kind of think, well, you know, we're helping invent this and we're racking our brains constantly to, yes, to be successful, yes, to be entertaining. And we did know this, but it kind of hit me harder for some reason at that moment that we have power to help shape the opportunity that other people have to follow in our footsteps, to yeah. live their dreams. Yeah. So I'm hoping that you would give us some positivity, right. Uncle Hank, uh, associated with keeping the you in YouTube, right? When the man comes in to take the power, they can't take all of it. Like that, like the cool thing about YouTube is that there is no barrier to entry. I mean, there is. You have to have a camera and an internet connection and ideally a way to edit a video. And as long as that's the case, people will be doing things that mainstream media will not get but will be very popular. And that is going to cause media to evolve far more quickly than it has in the past. Genres are created now as fast as television shows used to be created. And it's a beautiful thing. But but is that threatened? It's not. What I mean when I say that, that this is a foregone conclusion is that in the future, there will be YouTube channels and there will be YouTubers who are basically run by Hollywood. And the, it's going to be less magical than it is now. And it, it already is less magical now than it was a few years ago. And I have always wanted to and will always use the power of VidCon to encourage what I see as legitimate online video. But at the same time, I think that it's important to like recognize the path of power and the path of and like people will follow money. People will do things for money and Money will be easier to come by when you're talking to a Hollywood studio that is used to throwing down $10 million on something. There's a funny thing that people in Hollywood will will say, uh, this, this phrase that I hear frustratingly frequently, real money. And hmm. real money is implying that the money that you and I use to buy our cars and houses and, and gasoline is not real. <laughs> Real money is when, like, you can no longer breathe because of all the $100 bills that they've stuffed around you. Well, let, let's let's shift it in on a positive note. What are you most excited about? I think online video is going to continue being, like, super huge and super big and super diverse. And lots of interesting new things will keep on happening. And I think that the mainstream will always be a step behind. And I think that is the cool part. And I think that, like, right now what you're doing with Good Mythical Morning... That to me seems like the mainstream is a year or two behind this. And this kind of format is going to be popular. Like it's going to be a genre. I think right now you guys are making a genre of video that has never been created before. And I think that that's 
amazing, but I don't think it's at all unique. It might not even be exceptional. There's so many things happening. And like it's easy to forget that like five years ago, there wasn't anybody doing this who had an employee. <laughs> right. And And now finally we're starting to get to the point where you know, like there was this weird moment where YouTube was like, dump money on people and see what you do. And, and it didn't work because they went from, we went from like having just me doing the writing and directing and editing and talent and, and, you know, graphics and everything. Right. It turns out dumping money on people actually hurts. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's physically painful, especially if you use coins, which I don't know why they did that. <laughs> um, so Instead of going from just like one person doing all those things, you went to having 10 people and, and one person did each one of those things, which was a bad decision. What yeah. we should have done is had two people instead, which I think is one of the reasons why so many popular YouTube channels are two-person teams who started out as either brothers or whatever the heck you guys are. <laughs> Friends. Not quite. A little, <laughs> little more than that, but that sounds weird. Old married couple ask <laughs> yeah. friends. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and so it's only very, ooh, it's only very recently that we diversified. We like moved on from having just one person doing everything to two people doing everything yeah. and then three people doing everything. And it's, you can do so many more interesting things, but you have to let it evolve naturally. You have to let that, yeah. that progression occur in order to see how that changes what can be done because what can be done with three people is very different from what can be done with one person. Uh -huh. And the kind of content you end up making is very different. But that doesn't mean that the one person vlog is going to go away because that's a legitimately interesting format. It's a legitimately interesting genre. It's like stand-up comedy. Right. It's, 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 it's like a mix of like essay and video and stand-up and you get to do all kinds of different things. You can play multiple parts like Natalie or Superwoman, or you can be talking about, you know, like the complexities of the marriage equality debate in America. You're exactly right. The, just the rapidity of genres being created yeah. is, it's amazing and it's fascinating. And you're right that there's this wave of content that is being created in this digital realm that mm -hmm. is the future of so many different things. And it's fun to be riding that wave. Mm -hmm. And I know that when we look forward and we see what those next things are, that you're going to be there. You know, we're just committed to being able to look around and be in that space and be able to see people like you. So oh, you guys know you're, you know, you guys know you're ahead of the curve. You got to, you got to know you're ahead of the curve. You do such cool, innovative, interesting things. I'm proud to be in your studio right now. And this has been a great ear biscuit. All you got to do is sign this table, man. So, uh, Heck when, yes. Whenever it's whenever we uh, get it put in that museum you're talking about. <laughs> well, the, for the person who's listening to we'll this rent it out. in the year 4020, is that what we said? Sure. Who's looking at feeling this our ear biscuits flesh. in the Smithsonian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Listening to it while looking at the table. Yeah, it's in, a, it's in an exhibit. You press yeah. a button. Well, you probably don't press a button. You probably just think and it starts. <laughs> <laughs> I think Hank can say that our table's in some museum, but I don't think we're well, in a position he said it first. to say that, okay? <laughs> so just, I'm just going with that. Just, just sign it and let's try to end self-deprecating, okay? Okay, all right. I'm, yeah. I'm going to start a museum, and the first thing I'm going to put it in is this table. <laughs> okay. If you guys ever move out of the studio, this is it. All right. Is, the museum <laughs> is here. Okay. Okay. Undisclosed location. Thanks, Hank. Oh, you're adding that yourself. You don't have to do that. 
And there you have it, our conversation with Hank Green. I feel like I could talk to that guy forever. There's so much that he's done that we didn't even touch on. You could, you could, we could do a series with Hank Green. Well, and just his perspective, you know, on the state of online video, the future of online video, got lots of respect for what he's done for the good of not only online video, but for humanity. I mean, it's just cool to be in a space and, like we said, living our dream. And part of that is getting to rub shoulders and to become friends with people like Hank, who are uh, not taking lightly the responsibility that, that we find ourselves in in shaping this, th- this whole form of entertainment. Yeah, and I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for Hank. And, you know, it only increased in talking to him. I think to pinpoint one thing that was just so impressed me was his perspective on the way that they thought about John's success as a wave that they didn't want to ride. Hmm. And to, to understand the value of what they have created and what they are cultivating as the Vlogbrothers, as Nerdfighteria, He's just got so much insight into that. I don't know. It's there's almost a recentering when you do what you do, what we do for a living. And you talk to a guy like Hank. There's this recentering that that happens, and you kind of remember that, like, just it's inspiring, you know, the, to to see it in such a pure way. What we're what we're doing here in, in online video. Yeah, thanks, Hank, and uh, you should pass along what you think to Hank. His Twitter account is Hank Green. It's pretty intuitive. That's Hank. It's like if you if you were to make the sound honk, but with an A, <laughs> not an O. That's Hank Green on Hank. Twitter. Tweet Hank. at him. Hashtag your biscuits. Uh, Hank. Show him your appreciation. Show him your love in the internet way. Whoa, you know what? Also, show us your internet love. That could be an iTunes review or just just general gushing about ear biscuits to people whose opinion you respect. Strangers, even. Uh, yeah, strangers. We appreciate that. Tell, people, tell strangers about this. People on public transportation that you know, like you, you, that you're awkwardly tell close to. Tell somebody right now if you are in a public place. Tell them I'm I'm listening to ear biscuits. Just say it. Just scream it out. Check it out. Like add that. See, I'm doing it right now. Hopefully, you just did that. And thank you for that. We really appreciate it. See you next week.